and welcome to Months of Sundays, the show bringing you political commentary on entertainment media from the perpetual Sunday of Suburban on We. I'm Livy. And I'm Ruben. And this week, um, we're going to have an episode focusing on gender and giallo, mm. or giallo, um, which is an Italian genre of film. And would you like yeah, to tell so us a little bit about it, Ruben? I'm sure lots of people know, or lots of some people might know. It's a genre of film starting in the 60s, popularised in the 70s in Italy. And yeah, they're sort of colourful, expressionistic horror films using very sort of stylized violence and usually a outsider protagonist, someone... In that, a sort someone... of detective plot. So yeah, so like not a detective, but someone who becomes a detective. In the first film, in the film that we're doing which is... The uh, Bird with the Crystal Plumage. Yes, Dario Argento's first film, who would go on to uh, direct Suspiria, most famously. Which is probably well as... the most famous, especially in um, England and America, probably or the UK rather in America, probably the most famous uh, Giallo film. Yeah, although it doesn't actually fit those guidelines we set out for the Giallo films, interestingly, but it has that same expressionistic use of colour. It has the things. same yeah, style, yeah, although it's not a, stylistically, yeah. a detective plot per se. Exactly, yeah. Um, yes, we're doing his first film, The Bird with the Crystal Plumage, which is, which very much does conform to those things. It's about an American writer in Rome, uh, who witnesses a murder and then has to sort of piece together his memory of the events to try and remember what happened and work out who did it. Yeah. So that's, that's the first film we're doing. And we're also going to do a modern giallo. Yeah, um, so a film sort of inspired by that the, the, those old Italian films, which is 2016's Anna, The Love Witch. Yeah, directed by Anna Bilia, I think she's called. Um, only her second film, I think, which is, yeah, which is about uh, a love witch, basically. It's about, <laughs> it, it's, it does what it says on the tip, yeah. or does it? Um, it's, yeah, it's about um, the protagonist is... It's in this sort of stylized 60s pastiche type style, although you can see by some modern cars, some disconcertingly anachronistic modern cars in certain shots that we're not yeah. necessarily actually in the 60s. We're in this sort of interesting 60s pastiche land. Yeah. Um, and it's a kind of feminist take on the giallo genre, which we'll kind of expand on yeah. later. Um, on the giallo genre and also on... I think, uh, American horror films of the 60s as well. And also on, on American yeah. horror films of the 60s very much. Although I think you said, didn't you, that the um, what's maybe specifically Jarlow-ish about The Love Witch is that it's got this soundtrack that's knitted together from old Jarlow stand- soundtracks. From old Jarlow films, exactly, yeah. Including, I believe, The Bird with the Crystal Plumage, which has an amazing soundtrack by Ennio yeah. Morricone. God knows how he got Ennio Morricone to score his first film, but... I think his dad was a producer, oh, wasn't he, was Dario producer, Argento? Yeah. We we watched Dario, uh, a bit of a sidetrack, we watched quite a funny interview with Dario Argento, you know, relatively recently talking about, DVD, yeah. yeah, talking about th- this, his first film, and uh, every other every other sentence, he's not not necessarily a man uh, massively acquainted with modesty, because um, <laughs> every other sentence was like, yeah, they said that everyone would hate it and, and, and people panned it. They were wrong. They were wrong, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. He, he has that kind of almost Trump-like confidence. Yeah, yeah. Your uh, impression of him then was very trump Was very Trump-influenced. Yeah. No, but he actually is. But he actually was like... He actually yeah, is. Yeah, no, but he yeah. was great. He, yeah. Not, not he like really Trump cool. in any other really respect. Yeah. Just that kind of old man energy. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I guess he's, he's allowed it. He's been... Uh, 
yeah, he's um directed lots of very, very, very popular films and really changed horror films. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He no, he, he <laughs> it was a very it was a very cool film as well. This this one we're gonna yeah. talk about specifically. Um but yeah, so why so so let's talk a little bit about why we've chosen the films we have as well. Just we might as well touch on um, as we say, the most famous Jarlow, Suspiria, and its modern 2018 remake, which is actually, I think, a very, very cool film, the remake. Yeah. I, I mean, I love the original as well, but I think the remake is actually weirdly one of my favourite films because of what it does with remakes and, and how clever it is. Um, but because that's a, that, that those are very famous films and have been very mm-hmm. kind of well covered elsewhere, we're yeah, kind of yeah. taking a slightly slanted angle on this and going with The Bell with the Crystal Plumage and The Love Witch instead as a kind of equivalent um old giallo film and sort of modern updated version and as we say we're going in specifically on the angle of gender um now i think we're gonna have to do a little bit of spoilering here um 100 percent. so big flagging it up now we're about to get into big big spoilers for the bird with the crystal plumage because we have to in order to talk about why gender might be particularly interesting for this film so the kind of the plot twist at the end of the blood of the crystal plumage um, you've been tracking this killer, this killer of very beautiful women who you assume is going to be uh, a man. Um, and there's a scene early on uh, in the beginning of the film uh, where um, the, the kind of the crucial scene of the film from behind a very stylishly, interestingly shot scene from behind two glass doors, our protagonist, this um, unwitting detective, our writer protagonist, sees into this um, very brightly lit art gallery. Yeah, and is sort of trapped watching. And is trapped well. watching and unable to intervene. What he believes is um, the attempted murder by a man of a woman she's got she's very striking looking she's got very long bright red hair she's dressed in white um and this this image kind of haunts him throughout the film and it dogs him and that's what sets him on his case and and on on this obsession about why he's 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 got to solve the murder because he's trying to work out what he saw that night he knows that there's something he saw that night and then very late on in the film um the killer's identity is revealed uh, in a very sort of thrilling, almost kind of titillatingly directed scene, um, yeah. which is which is also very scary, obviously, um, where the the killer steps out of the shadows and shakes out her auburn tresses and laughs yeah. this mad, beautiful laugh, and of course turns out to be a woman, yeah. um, and to, to be the woman who um who our we protagonist was being murdered. believed he saw mur- attempted uh, attempted murder you know yeah attempted murder yeah uh, attacked in the art gallery in fact the reason why the scene had been continually playing on his mind and we see it visually sort of flashed back to playing on his mind throughout the film um is because he couldn't quite work on work out what was going on because in fact the woman was the aggressor in the, in the tussle between the man and yeah. the woman um so it's got so there's a gender based twist basically yeah. in uh, the bird with the crystal crystal fluid, where the whole thing about it is, oh my god, it was a girl. Like that yeah. is that is that is the level of yeah, it. Yeah, it's the opposite of a twist in quite a bad film, uh, the American eighties horror film Sleepaway Camp. Where spoilers, but just don't watch this film because it's rubbish. It's, <laughs> we just watched the the end together. I had not seen it, but I was shocked by this. <laughs> <laughs> where the twist is, it's about it's set at an um, what's it called, the summer camp, and the twist at the end is that for no reason and for no sort of pertinence to the plot, actually the twist is that the girl 
who it turns out has been doing the killings, is a boy. And it, the final shot is just her screaming in the image of her penis. While she holds this head. His penis, yeah. I guess. And like, they're meant to be really scary that she's a boy and we haven't worked out the whole time. Yeah, yeah Anyway, yeah. a bit of a sidetrack because <laughs> this film is much cleverer what it says about what it's doing. I think But it's is, got a yeah. similar, fuck. It's, it's yeah, just yeah, yeah. like, it's too much for people to comprehend. It's the same twist, isn't it? The, yeah. The, yeah, yeah. But, it, but, but as we say, more, more subtly done perhaps in... Uh, uh, in the birth of Crystal Plumage. So, so that's the kind of the, the reason why we're taking this film as a case study for women who kill because in the course of The Love Witch, that's also what this film is about, of course, because um, The Love Witch, uh, in her pursuit of love, uh, she's got this kind of um, obsession, this kind of uh, wryly handled by the director obsession yeah. um, with finding her sort of perfect uh romantic partner who she will be with forever yeah. and ever and ever um and and in the course of, of this obsession she ends up killing people yes exactly um so to talk about these i guess we have to talk about first what the sort of antecedents are for the for women who kill who are like the sort of literary historical um filmic and also. filmic also yeah um uh, the key the key the, the key dames who do it dirty <laughs> yes um, and so uh we were saying probably medea of greek tragedy who wrote is, medea euripides yes uh, i'm a medea uh, kills her own children um in a vindictive move towards her husband um, very awful Jason, who to be fair is portrayed as being pretty awful no, in the play is, yeah. as well. Um, who's who's left her for another woman uh, to get back at him? She kills their children. It's a pretty dark, uh, <laughs> and then she flies away on a chariot with some dragons. Yeah. It's also the interesting thing about Medea, which people forget about it, is that it's also um, the beginning of a trilogy uh, in which the other two plays have been lost because oh, yeah. uh, all Greek all Greek tragedies like were in sort of groups of three so the weird thing about Medea is we read it as this kind of crazy anarchic thing where she kind of gets away with this huge murder but actually it's quite likely impossible that she'll be punished in those other texts we have to yeah, kind of remember, remember yeah. but nonetheless like the, the fact that Medea the first <coughs> text is the one that has survived to us tells us something yeah. in itself and it Medea be the best one, I is guess. a very striking play well, well I mean, we can like, assume that text, it might have been yeah. survive for different reasons yeah, I can't yeah, remember yeah, the course. exact textual history of like that play yeah. but you know um well no because it's anyway I'm not yeah. going to get into Greek tragedies now <laughs> <laughs> um but uh yeah so so that's so if we think about her so we're thinking a little bit about witches we're thinking about witches in the love witch and we're also thinking about uh, which is in Suspiria as our kind of backdrop for what we're yeah, doing here. Yeah. Um, but if we um, if we think about Medea, who's often portrayed as a witch, was a witch, you know, she was a sorceress, as our kind of um, archetypal witchy um, woman who kills, who's very frightening to men, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, so so we've got her kind of going on in the background as our, as an our OG. We've got um, the sort of Lady Macbeth type figures yep. of Shakespeare who are often, we were kind of talking about this earlier, often kill via indirect sort means. Sort of vicariously, or yeah. Or try to kill somebody, like, for example, the uh, sort of wicked stepmother, witch-like figure who does use poisons and everything in Shakespeare's play, Cymbeline, who attempts to murder and is foiled yeah we don't often get in shakespeare the successful murder um of somebody else by, by a, a woman, woman no. even a villainous woman because i think it's perhaps 
perhaps deemed to be too yeah. shocking. Not by all of Shakespeare's contemporaries is that deemed to be too shocking as subject matter for the for the stage. Of course, in um, Jacobean tragedy, in revenge tragedy, revenge tragedy is absolutely oh, littered women, they? yeah. with uh, killer women, and they are really a kind of a very good, a very good precedent yeah, yeah, yeah. For, for for sort of giallo women because they're um, women who kill. Uh, and one of the most shocking things that is supposed to be about these women yeah, who kill yeah. is their gender. You know, that's kind of the like the big, um, yeah, that, yeah, that's, yeah, definitely. That, 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 that's a bit. That, you know, it, 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 it's a similar kind of. They're similarly um, populist and dripping with blood and skulls and sex yeah, and everything. They, they they are coming from a very similar sort of tonal yeah. place. And of course, the cross-dressing key to lots of uh, tragedy, um, revenge tragedies, and also key to lots of Shakespeare specifically, oh, of course, yeah. is also found in the bird with the crystal plumage. It's also kind of and and becomes a kind of frightening worry for for kind of I suppose a sort of paranoid patriarchal culture about gender, basically. Yeah, you know, yeah. It, it, it's the image the image of the woman who could be more than woman, who could be more than the sort of submissive yeah. slot in society carved out by men is is, yeah. is is part of this sort of fear involved in this cultural mythos of women who kill. Yes, definitely. Um yeah, so so there we go. Some of some older um antecedents. We've also got uh, we were thinking about La Belle Dame Saint Merci Saint Merci. <laughs> it's not a very good French accent from me. Um, Saint Merci. Um, Might who, be how Keaton said it. Said it, <laughs> it probably was. Yeah, I'm sure he wasn't bothered. Um, I, I think it would be a bit pretentious to pronounce. I don't know. Do you think it would be a bit pretentious to pronounce a very English poem with a pronounce the French title with yeah. a very Frenchified accent? I think there might be something Maybe a little, a little bit, bit. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I'm just making excuses for myself. But anyway, um, yeah, we were thinking about. Um, La Belle Dame Saint-Marcy, because uh, that's a kind of a very famous text about a sort of w- witchy woman who kills, yeah. um, who, who lures her lovers um, to an early grave mm-hmm. um, uh, uh, and all and, kind of leaves them half half sort of living shells of themselves, alone and palely mm-hmm. loitering, um, as the line goes. Yeah. Um uh, which is what happens to many of the wet men that uh, the love witch sort of drains. Yeah. You know, she... I would recommend pausing this podcast now and going to read that poem. It's only a few stanzas long. Yes, it's very good. It's very good. Um, <laughs> if you have not read it before. Yeah, it, it's one of those poems that will kind of echo in your head sinisterly yeah, as you yeah. go around doing your daily business. So uh, would recommend if you haven't checked it out already. And then, of course, the the what the precedent that lots of these that these films are definitely directly playing with very much is the femme fatale of film noir so or specifically a kind of hollywood version of film noir that is then being sort of yeah. taken up and played with by these giallo directors I yes mean. definitely yeah, yeah yeah so an echo in either independent cinema modern independent cinema or in foreign foreign cinema of the american sort of hegemonic control over of cinematic production is this this echo of the, of the femme fatale which is a of course most people will know the sort of key villain in most film noirs which is a woman who uses her womanliness I guess to kill people <laughs> her womanliness <laughs> <laughs> her very femininity shy. <laughs> <laughs> her femininity then yes yeah, and no. you, yeah you, I'm sure you all could think of lots of examples of femme, femme fatales of course yeah uh, in modern cinema as well it's not a drone that's, well, that's completely yeah. gone away um anyway yeah so that's that's some context that's some background kind of the 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 primordial swamp of gender from which we're drawing <laughs> these films um yeah so what more can we say about about these films specifically i mean i think so to, to kind of get in on the gender now 
what you expect to see, and I think this is kind of key, what you expect to see, I think, in The Love Witch, you know that it's that it's coming from a female director. Uh, you know with this female protagonist um, who's sort of specifically commenting on her femininity and specifically talking a lot about gender and specifically talking a lot about needing men and all this kind of thing, you kind of expect to see this very uh, like slightly on the nose thing going on where the love witch takes on this kind of empowering identity versus her sort of femme fatale um, antecedents and... um, and becomes this kind of uh you know glorified version of the killer woman yes in fact that's definitely what i expected before i watched the that's film. what i and i think we were and both i think a bit the marketing probably plays into that the marketing of the film probably played into that being what it was about and stuff like that as well i think it does because the because the um the look of the central character is is like undeniably kind of you know cool like yeah, cool. you want to you want to root for her because she, she looks so great <laughs> um in her little 60s dresses and yeah, everything yeah. like you know um it, it, it's a fantastically stylish film i would definitely yeah. w- recommend it on that kind of basis um alone but kind of more than that um it is a it is a very interesting funny film as well and very playful film because i i feel that um the angle that it takes here yeah, is... Yeah, so what do we actually get with... What we That's what I'm saying. That's yeah. what about, but I think what we what we actually get is kind of rather than this this kind of glorification um, of the of the female protagonist, um, we get this kind of... Um, where the female protagonist would be this sort of sexual subject, you know, not, not just a disempowered object, but a sexual subject going out on her kind of sexual raids and, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. enslaving men or whatever through her magics... Um, what we kind of actually get is a female gaze, which is completely elusive. And I feel that because what we get is like kind of lots of very sort of sexualized image of the love witch herself and all and all this yeah. kind of thing, and this feeding into male fantasy and the love witch herself, of course, saying, um, "I'm the love witch. I'm your greatest fantasy," and yeah. all of this stuff. And we just get this complete sort of parody and send up of of the male gaze, rather than anything that is actually a, a kind of a. a um, uh, subjective experience of women or or, or, or a female gaze. Um, and I think that that's kind of a comment on the way that women are conditioned as sexual objects rather than subjects. The camera in the hand of the woman director um, is not there for this kind of se- sexually subjective camera. It's something that's kind of commenting on how women are taught to see their sexuality yeah. through the eyes of men. And there's a really interesting scene where the love witch kind of very playing into into tropes about um uh women masturbating being kind of um uh you know this sort of sensual uh performative thing rather mm-hmm. than rather than a sort of a sexually subjective need where the love witch is masturbating she's called Elaine Elaine is masturbating to all of these the audio is playing over the top of it and she's and it's kind of her interior monologue but her interior monologue is entirely made up of things that other people have said about her body in the uh, past yeah. and she's masturbating to it yeah. so her subjectivity is entirely constituted through her sort of objectivity through her status as an object yes. yeah, yeah yeah and she herself is a sort of cipher for us understanding that isn't she she has little interiority even though we do here yeah um, she's empty she's yeah. a vessel she's a kind of yeah, messenger exactly yeah and it, so it's an in, so it's an interesting thing where actually you expect this like you say that not just the female gaze you expect this sort of 
typical empower like not typical empower but you know you expect to be watching a woman just killing killing bad men basically yeah and there are yeah. films like that a little bit like um perhaps uh some of the revenge rape revenge films exactly that we yeah about in so you expect episode. something like that but actually she is completely yeah, a cipher and a hollow um she's a male fantasy that's constructed by herself yeah and she's and and she's so clearly tawdry and empty and hollow and everything yeah. about her is um that it, it's a much more kind of effective comment on those ways of making media uh, even than by sort of presenting um just a kind of an alternative um sort of quote unquote empowered female character not that there's not a massive place and a massive lack of that as well that kind of really needs to be accounted for across media mm, yeah. but but it's it's doing it, it, it it's much more a commentary on uh negative parts of the media which already exist yeah, or kind yeah. of amusingly negative parts of the media that already exist than uh, cr- creating a kind of alternative narrative which yes, i exactly, think is interesting yeah. um yeah so we've got that we've got that from the um from the kind of from the remake from the pastiche um but when we're talking about um original giallo films a rather different thing is the case wouldn't yeah, you say definitely, with the yeah. with the um the female killer in uh the blood of the crystal plumage because sort of when we get this image of the of of the woman in the blood of the crystal plumage um stepping forward and stepping into the light and sort of laughing madly and then later pursuing our protagonist round the same art gallery in which he uh, witnessed the original attempted yeah. murder and pinning him under this terrifying spiky piece of modern yeah. art and sort of masochistically laughing madly and stabbing around him with a knife yeah yeah um laughing madly the whole time i have to i have to clarify um we get this kind of very different vision of female yeah sexuality. and so she she is a sort of man's worst nightmare i guess the sort of uh very attractive woman who is actually just out to out to get them and to kill out to get them and to kill and also i think to supplant the male role exactly, because yeah. because we we thought that this role of this killer um of this very obviously kind of sexually motivated killer as well was going to be filled by a man yeah. there's a very scary so all the murders are of women all the murders are, are of women there's a very scary early scene in which or kind of halfway through the film maybe in which we there's there's heavy implication uh we see a woman murdered in her bed uh we don't see the face of the killer obviously it's not revealed until till the last bit of the film um she's wearing black gloves and a black coat and everything so she's just this sinister figure and there's heavy implication that um the woman victim is kind of stabbed up her vagina with a knife um content warning (laughs) should probably pop that on there um so we have that sort of supplanting of the of the like phallic role in a in an obvious way in a very sort of explicitly threatening way. Also, this is kind of mirrored in the art gallery scene later on, where she's pinning the protagonist down under this very spiky again phallic yeah. um, <laughs> under this very spiky um, art piece. Art piece, yeah. Um, like, and is when it, she's is on, it actually she's knives? On, she's on fact? she's on top of him. It's like kind of shards or something, yeah, something very yeah. knife. Like she's on top of him, on top of this art piece, putting her weight on yeah, it, yeah. stabbing around with her knife all round him. She's this very like obviously sort of penetrative figure and this has been a kind of the the penetrative woman has been like a figment 
of the fearful patriarchal imagination since like time immemorial. Um, in the 17th century, it's, it's older than this, but I, um, I, I've read a little bit specifically about it in the in the 17th century. But in the 17th century, um, another word for a lesbian was a, a tribad. And one of the kind of key ideas associated with tribadism is like penetra- penetrating uh, another woman with a kind of enlarged clitoris, yeah. like in that, and, and and there's this sort of there's this fear of a woman that is somehow endowed with the male element that is endowed mm, with a yeah. phallus uh, is like a kind of you know really 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 old um, masculinized fear. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we've kind of got we've kind of got all that going on. We've also got this interesting queer subtext going on, which again kind of ed- adds edge to this to this the, the female sort of sexual mm-hmm. mystery of the of the woman who kill who kills. Because from the beginning of the film, from like a few scenes into the film, there's interestingly a kind of a, a scene that's sort of doubly queer coded in otherwise a not at all seemingly queer film. But as we as, as yeah. we're exploring, there is actually something very crucially queer about this film which is the identity of the killer um but there's this early on but but it doesn't seem to be going in that direction oh, yeah. from early on but there's this, there's this early scene with an antique teaks dealer or an art seller um who uh oh yeah is, of course is, is is the our protagonist goes to his Shop yeah, to... so he he has something to do with the murders, right? There's some reason why he wants to ask him questions because... about the murders. Because, oh, because the painting is sold, right? Because so basically, we work out from this from this antiques dealer that the that one of the victims uh, of the killer, the second victim or whatever, uh, works in the antique shop, and the oh, antiques yeah, dealer himself is kind of queer coded yeah, in a sort of jokey right? way. Like he's a kind of you know yeah, sort of unfortunate parody. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly, De- gay man stereotype. Um, but he also says in the course of the conversation, um, uh, "Oh, uh, you know." Uh, people said strange things. She was a straight. She was a nice girl, but she was a strange girl. The girl who's been killed. People said things about her. Um, people said she preferred the company of women. Oh, not yeah. that I mind. I'm not a racist. <laughs> Which, <laughs> Which to be fair, hilarious. was one of the funniest. It was a surprisingly funny film all round. Not it has necessarily humor, definitely, and it's on purpose as well. That is actually a particularly funny line. To be fair, yeah, I did not. I did think. I did was... when we both very much laughed lots when that happened. We did. It was good. <laughs> um, but yeah, no. So. So anyway, so and then early on at that point, I said, "Oh my god, uh, the protagonist's girlfriend did the killings," and Ruben was like, yeah. "What? No, <laughs> no, she didn't. There's no evidence. The protagonist's girlfriend didn't do the killings. She was one of the only kind of women characters we'd been introduced to, other than other than the the seeming victim who turns out to be the murderer earlier on in yeah. the film. But the reason that I said that obviously was because there was this lesbian subtext which didn't seem to have any other place or meaning, like in the film, yeah, unless yeah. the killer was, was a, a woman. woman. So actually, yeah, um, you worked so, out quite quickly, didn't you? Well, yeah, <laughs> not to blow my own trumpet. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that's 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 interesting that we have this kind of this queer subtext bubbling away, and I think it's part of the kind of masculine fear that's at the heart of this film but it's not it's not a ghostly kind of fearing film this film i think it's a film that explicitly sets out by having this very um uh 
sort of disempowered male character yeah. as, as, as the protagonist who in the end needs to be saved by a whole load of cops barging in yeah, you know, yeah. and can't do anything and himself. And he's very, he's very clear. He's disempowered for lots of ways in the film. He's disempowered because he's an American in Rome and the film is either dubbed in Italian or English. So you don't actually realise so much, I guess, that he didn't, that he, on, we watched the Italian dub. And, um, well, in the in the Italian dub, I mean, obviously you could just flip this and say in the English dub, but in the Italian dub, yeah, that's a good, interesting way that he's disempowered. He's literally he's, kind yeah, of he's voiceless. voiceless. Yeah, true. And also he's disempowered by, in the very first scene, which is very shocking, which we already talked about, where he's trapped between these two glass panes. He can't leave and tell anyone and he's forced to watch the murder as we sort of are. And I'm sure it's like, I'm sure it's the most analysed bit of the film because it's very evocative, this thing of him being trapped between these two huge glass glass walls and not being able to do anything. And so, but then he's sort of doubly disempowered after this because even his act of watching the murder is sort of at, is at fault and is what needs to be scrutinised the whole film. What he does, the scrutinising of, yeah. but which he can, can never actually remember. And it's as if the idea of the female killer is um, completely alien or just not, isn't like, it couldn't, doesn't register to him to the point where he doesn't, he can't understand his own viewing of, of that as true. Which is why the film, in a way, I wouldn't go so far as to call it feminist, but it's why it ha- does have a kind of subversive edge to it. Love Witch yeah. does this kind of from the completely opposite end of really exploding male fantasy and ridiculing it. Uh, and it does that with a very uh, funny, satirical uh, sort of edge. Um but the Burb of the Crystal Plumage does have this kind of um, gender subversive edge to it, um, which does kind of explore, I think, kind of masculine weakness. And also just that idea that you that you're saying there, kind of linking us back to the kind of the his failure to see um, the, the protagonist's failure to see that's kind of an interesting link, isn't it, to that that question of the object and the subject in the Love Witch? Because much as um, the Love Witch is kind of unable to be a subject in her own right, she's only a sort of um, a mirror, a mirror to the male gaze. Yeah. Um, her sexuality is um, sort of entirely constituted through her object status. So our sort of supposedly ultra masculine you know with his hot girlfriend and everything protagonist in the bird with the crystal plumage um is a kind of failed subject you know he fails to read the situation and on the subject of subjectivity (laughs) i just quite i I came up with that one myself (laughs) um uh, i'm here all week um i yeah no i just quite quite quickly like to um think again about our kind of uh, very striking looking uh, protagonist in The Bird with the Crystal Plumage, who obviously has this kind of frightening to the filmmaker, not frightening to the filmmaker necessarily, but sort of a, a fear that the filmmaker is playing on. Yeah, not protagonist, of, right, the killer. Yes, the sorry, killer, yeah, 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 the female killer. Um, uh, very striking looking um, female killer with the, this kind of long red hair. Um, and 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 she is obviously kind of portrayed as a as a sexual subject with this kind of anarchic subjectivity, which is all bound up in her sort of ability to to, to kill. Yeah. Um, and I and I just was kind of thinking a little bit. Um, as I said, like briefly, femme fatale, right? Uh, yeah, like a femme fatale, exactly. Yeah, I felt her um, uh, red hair was possibly alluded to. By Suspiria, which the 2018 remake of Suspiria, yeah, which, which is I a very said, film, which is a it? very referential film, and obviously is playing on a famous giallo, 
um and i felt that maybe because the 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 central character in that has got this these kind of long auburn tresses and she goes on this kind of um naked again kind of sexualized but very um uh empowering uh kind of uh, you know use that word slightly wryly but you know that this kind of um sexual uh, and sort of murderous empowerment. She goes yeah. with this kind of dance macabre, this killing spree naked at the end of the film with her long uh, red hair streaming everywhere. And I thought that that might be a kind of um, visual reference to maybe the first sort of female subject rather than object, subject slash killer of Jarlo, which is that kind of very striking auburn tressed uh, woman in yeah, uh, The Bird with the Crystal Plumage. Uh, and just a little side note mm, there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think kind of the last thing that we'd like to touch on as a really sort of key tenet of both these films and both of their kind of um, discussions of gender, and we've, and we've kind of touched on it a little bit already with the with the Love Witch and the kind of vacuum that the Love yeah, Witch herself yeah. that Elaine presents. But I think we really kind of want to think about um, is this kind of intriguing emptiness really in the heart of the of both films when it comes to to um, the the interior of these women or when it comes to uh, their motivation. We have this kind of void and vacuum, yeah. and this is mirrored interestingly in this in the kind of the the presentation of the 60s that we get as well in The Love Witch, uh, yeah. which is kind of a 60s, a pastiched 60s, kind of with the kind of the heart drawn out of it. Yeah, definitely. Um, it's, it, De-radicalised it, and taken all its sort of political energies away from it into this sort of suburban, hollow America that we see. Well, yeah, and also not just the suburban, hollow America, but the kind of the supposed counterculture is purely cultural rather than political. Yeah, the yeah. witch's culture is kind of... There's no interest in, in, in politics or, or in any kind of even subversive gender politics. The witches themselves, um, orchestrated by this kind of patriarchal leader, male leader, yeah. um, kind of completely feed into this very traditional uh, gender politics, they say that in some kind of quite funny lines, but, you know, that they say they say that in this kind of pseudo-spiritualist kind of way, you know, men and women have to be to be balanced. There has to be duality. Yeah, they yeah. have to oppose each other. They have these very kind of reactive gender politics and not kind of very interesting politics about every, anything else either. There is a funny bit um, in the film which seems like a kind of satire of 60s subculture where this kind of patriarchal leader of the witch cult said, oh, you know, back in the day you could stick up your poster of Baphomet and it didn't matter if you were a Satanist or a <laughs> witch or a Wiccan. Everyone was just there to have a good time. Um, and I, I think we've got a kind of a, a sort of satire yeah, of a kind of rather saccharine... Yeah, uh, un unpolitical version of sixties subculture, yeah. kind of the sixties, and and this is kind of a, a similar thing to uh, something that we touched on actually um, for for the true fans among you in our <laughs> first episode where we discussed Todd Haynes' Safe. Oh yeah, um, which also deals with um, a spiritual community. Um, which is kind of seems like an illusion or a sort of shell of a of a sixties subculture yeah. in in the kind of spiritual. Uh, and sort of uh, yeah, sort of more spiritual kind of hippie leanings, but with with any kind of political yeah. center or soul leaked out of it. Mm -hmm, definitely, yeah. 
Um, so, so, so that's 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 just an aside about the kind of the empty backdrop of the Love Witch. But to get on again to our female killers, um, what we see in both films is this kind of attempt or seeming attempt, this kind of wryly posited attempt at a sort of psychologicalization of our two female characters. So the end of um, uh, the Blood of the Crystal Plumage is we get a TV interview with a psychologist who takes <laughs> who takes the reins and takes over. And it's a psychologist we've seen throughout the film, right, as the police psychologist, I think. Ah, is it? Yeah, yeah. I've forgotten that. There's the police officer, but the police officer literally says, uh, now we hand over... Uh, it, it, uh, the interviewer on TV says, why did the woman commit these crimes <laughs> to the police officer? And he literally doesn't say anything. He just says, just hand that over to the psychologist, basically. Yeah. <laughs> like, the psychologist starts explaining. And the psychologist gives this kind of um, bizarre explanation of why the woman in the bird for crystal plumage kills, which is taken, we've learned, from the uh, novel, the kind of pulpy British novel on which The Bird with the Crystal Plumage is based, which yeah. is called Screaming Mimis. Um, and the explanation is that uh, the the murderer, when she was, she was sexually assaulted uh, and, you know, there was an attempted murder as well at the same time, she escaped this um, incident. Her kind of psychological damage lay latent uh, and then a painting was made of the incident, inspired by the incident. When the woman saw the painting, uh, she her trauma was kind of reactivated. Yeah. She had the desire to go on this killing spree because instead of identifying with herself, identifying with the victim, she identified with the murderer. And that's yeah. the kind of nub from which the film has grown. That's the plot in the original novel. But there's something very disconcerting, very kind of eerie about the way that this final sequence is shot because we've got this psychological explanation um, playing on the one hand and in between we're having cutaway shots to watching this sort of sunny, happy play with this sort of jaunty music playing behind it um, while um, our protagonist and his girlfriend fly off back to America. Oh, yeah, and we have this kind of jaunty, weird, upbeat vibe, which um, the, the psychological explanation is, is sort of offset against. And we have the sense of something kind of out of time. You know, the psychological explanation doesn't fit uh, what's happening, this kind of shoved in bit of exposition at the end of the film doesn't fit what's happening in the rest of the film. And it certainly doesn't really cover the kind of wild, glorious, it's sort of formal explanation doesn't cover the kind of wild anarchy, her, exactly, her yeah. joy in the murder, and which is the really yeah. sinister thing about it's the film. It's interesting, she, and it comes from, again, a sort of act of seeing and an act of memory that, that um, re, re brings up this 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 murder and brings the killing spree like the man at the start of the film she's forced to watch her murder and but instead and it's interesting again on terms of gender that she identifies with the killer in the painting because she's doing the very thing that Argento doesn't allow or doesn't think his viewers will do yeah. which is seeing the murderer as, as a woman yeah yeah she is she is in fact the successful subject against which uh, Argento's protagonist, um, the would-be detective, um, against which he is the he is the failed subject. He failed yeah, to exactly, interpret yeah. the thing, and she, and she grasps that subjectivity. So, if we're thinking about um, 
Love Witch and um, The Bob of the Crystal Plumage as two films which can be placed in a kind of dialogue about gender and subjectivity specifically, there is actually something interestingly triumphant and unnervingly so as well. Yeah, definitely. About um, The Bird with the Crystal Plumage in which um, a woman kind of manages to subvert the... Yeah. Um, yeah, to subvert the relations in with, with which she's and the film was very interesting provided. for it as well. Yeah, definitely. It it, it it is very interesting for it, and I and I think um, yeah, and I think we'll finish with kind of that image of Elaine as well, and the love which again we're kind of we're counterposing Elaine to uh, our protagonist in uh, not protagonist, sorry, our, our murderer in the in the bird with the crystal pl- plumage. I think she's um, a kind of a great creation, though. Like as yeah, I say, yeah. everything about her is empty but i think there's it's also there's there's this interesting act of of looking in the so she elaine paints these kind of appalling paintings um which are kind of supposed to be supposed to be appalling they look like something that would be sold in one of those kind of like you know those kind of little slightly tacky to be mean but you know like kind of spiritualist but shops true, yeah. with kind of little witchy models in <laughs> yeah, them and, that. and yeah, yeah. they look like something that will be sold in one of those they're they're you know you hear she's an artist and, and everything about the film is so beautiful there's this kind of you know great big <laughs> yeah. irony about how awful elaine's own art is and that's because yeah. she's not really a woman she's a man's version of a woman yeah. that's what she's and being presented as versions of what looks like you expect tacky suburban art that would be on the walls of a house in which they would live i think as well they they are yeah and but she paints herself as the murderer or she paints a woman as the murderer in this kind of ritualistic ceremony and then her final murder um that takes place again um we're going to talk about We've we've brought the we've we've maybe overused Freud in this episode, but I'm wheeling out the phallus again, again phallic knife. She stabs, yeah, she yeah. stabs the bloke with. It's interesting the sort of visual ekphrasis both these films do and perform on their women. In fact, I, I think it's because they are very interesting in the woman as object on film yeah, and how yeah. she's been kind of almost exclusively treated as such. And the Elaine's sort of final image as the, our final image of Elaine is of Elaine looking at an image and, and, and Elaine sort of recognising herself in an image. She collapses on the bed in this state of almost ecstasy looking at mm-hmm. her own painting uh, in which um, a woman is p- performing this sort of ritualistic murder on a man. Um, I'd argue it's a different thing than what we're getting in The Bird of the Crystal Plumage because as I say, it's a kind of, it's an empty circuit. It's... Um, a, a sort of circuit of bad representation and bad representation, you know, yeah, yeah. feeding into each other. As I say, Elaine is a cipher. She's a woman's version of a man's version of a woman. Yeah. You know, that's that's that's, that, it, that's yeah. what we're kind of looking at in the bird with the crystal plumage. But I think that that's it's really interesting that that that, that kind of act of looking that we've kind of drawn that out in our discussion. Mm. That act of looking is kind of really what these what these women who kill are kind of all about in these yeah, two films yeah. um looking or not looking and being looked at brilliant yes i very much agree um we were qu- gonna quickly recommend as well a couple of films ruben if you were um wanting to watch something if you, if you watch the love witch if you've already seen it or if you watch it on the back of uh this podcast um we will remind it and enjoy it of course <laughs> not if you don't enjoy it obviously. <laughs> um uh, we reminded of another couple of films. Yeah, we were reminded of the Czech New Wave film, which is quite famous, I think, although maybe slightly underseen. Valerie and her Week of Wonders by Sharon Ouchiers. Yeah, which is very cool and has this sort of same folklore feel to it. This And it's very much about women and also... And this same sort of 
almost comic tone. Exactly, yeah, like sort of disconcertingly comic tone and also quite scary at points. It's a very, it's a very, very strange film that, that takes lots of the elements of fairy tales and changes them and is very, very strange, actually. And it's, again, filtered through a woman's subjectivity and it's balanced between kind of horror film and Bilden's roman and folklore, yeah. as you say. It's this really interesting blend of things. Yeah. And it's got some very, very striking imagery and kind of all of a piece if if the um uh the love witch is is all of a piece in this kind of 60s pastiche way um uh Valerie's Week of Wonders which is actually from the 70s I think I, I think believe 71, it's, it's yeah. 71 so it almost is a 60s film in itself it's got a very similar look but it's also kind of very beautifully all of a piece yeah, in these kind of sinister yeah. folklore settings it's very it's a particularly striking film actually that one yeah also if you like that film in a kind of uh <laughs> a, a little kind of jumping on sequence um, I would recommend uh, The Company of Wolves, which is an adaptation of Angela Carter's um, uh, uh, short story of the same name. Yeah. Um, which Who I'm made a big that fan of. Neil something. Pe- oh, Neil, Neil. Neil Jordan. Neil Jordan. Is it? Yeah. Or Neil Marshall? I think it is Neil. Uh, I think Neil, it is Jordan. Jordan. Neil look, look, Jordan. Yeah, yeah I think yeah, it is yeah. Neil Jordan. But um, yeah, no, I, I'd recommend that. And it's a similar thing. Um women women as objects or subjects yeah, yeah. similar kind of wry tone similar play with folklore it's a few of angela carter's stories right or is it just it's the company a of few wolves? of yeah it's a few of it's kind of the it's the company of wolves and it's got another one of her stories from the bloody chamber integrated yeah, into see, it as yeah. a sort of sub sub thing but it's yeah, mainly yeah, the company yeah. of wolves see, but yeah, yeah it, it, it's kind of very in and the she spirit wrote it right as it's, well uh, yeah, she 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 wrote the script. Yeah. yeah, it's very in the spirit of um the whole of the collection, you know, and it and it's kind of satirical edge about folklore, basically. Yeah. Kind of any, I mean, any sort of feminist folklore retelling, um, uh, of which kind of abound nowadays. Yeah. Um, they're all completely influenced uh, and descendants of Angela Carter's The Bloody Chamber, Definitely. which is a completely and amazing I'm sure, work. Um, Annabilia's next book, next film, sorry is an adaptation of Bluebeard, which Angela Carter herself famously adapted. Of course. So, yeah, um, yeah I'm sure that will be extremely So Angela this is Carter-ish. a kind of an in- interesting lineage. Yeah. If, you, if you like if you like folklore, there's a strong folklore element in The Love Witch as well. We probably yeah, haven't yeah. mentioned enough, but um, yeah, no. Definitely, the- yeah. And uh, on that, thank you all for listening. Yeah, thanks for listening, guys. Salve